As happy as a butter clam When tides are high I sing A grateful ode to Puget Sound The land of everything I love it from Tulalip To Puyallup, Squim and Pisht And to the Dosey Wallops Where so many times I fished From Brennan to the Boca Chile, From Lummi to La Push And from the lordly Salda to lovely Duckabush. From Samish to Sammamish, Suquamish to Quillacine. The climate is so friendly, it's a land that's evergreen. As happy as a butter clam, when tides are high I sing. A grateful ode to Puget Sound, the land of everything. I love it from Tulalip to Puyallup, Squim and Pisht. And to the Dosey Wallops, where so many times I fished. From Brennan to the Boca Chile, from Lummi to La Push. And from the lordly Salduck to lovely Duckabush. From Samish to Sammamish, Suquamish to Quillacine. The climate is so friendly, it's a land that's evergreen. Hello, and welcome to the History of the Evergreen State podcast. I'm your host, John C., and thank you for joining me today. I just wanted to thank Alan Hirsch once again for supplying our intro music. Isn't it awesome? This is episode 5, Thea Foss, a Tacoma icon, and the waterway that shares her name. Born on June 8, 1857, in the small hamlet of Eidsberg, Norway, just south of what is now known as Oslo, Thea Christensen was one of eight children in her family. By the time she reached the age of 14, she left school and shortly after moved to Christiania. This is now known as Oslo the capital of Norway. This move allowed her to work and help family members that were already living there. When Thea was staying with her sister Julia in her late teens, she met Andreas Olsen, who was Julia's brother-in-law. Born in an even smaller community than Thea was, Olsen, at the age of 17, left his home at Skurfoss and went to sea to become a ship's carpenter. It was on leave from his ship that he met Thea, and soon a quick bond was formed over their shared self-reliant attitudes and adventurous spirits. It didn't take long for the pair to decide to get married. As was common at the time, the two settled on starting new lives and decided to go to America. Andreas left first in 1878 to establish a homestead and then save money for Thea's future passage. Andreas landed in Canada and eventually made his way to St. Paul, Minnesota. At the time, this area was a huge center for newly arriving Norwegian immigrants. He quickly found employment as a carpenter. After a time, he had scraped up enough money and sent it off to Thea. Then, he began the long anticipation of awaiting his fiancée's arrival. When the day came, he dressed in his finest clothing and headed to the train station. The face that greeted him was not what he was anticipating. It was the smiling face of his brother Ivor. He was probably flabbergasted to see him. 
Thea had given him the money instead. Undeterred by this, Andreas went right back to work and began saving his money once again. When he had earned enough to send to Thea again, he was surprised when his sister Katrina arrived. Thea had intended to pay for her own way to America by working as a housekeeper. Because why not? Nothing was going to hold back this woman. It is unclear whether Andreas knew of her plan or not. Thea would arrive in St. Paul by 1881, and she would promptly marry Andreas at a Lutheran church there. For the next eight years, the Olsons called the city of St. Paul their home. Given the town's distant location to the Great Lakes, Andreas was not able to pursue his love of ships. So instead, he continued working as a carpenter and earned enough money to send for two more of his siblings. Thea and Andreas would welcome their first child in 1885, a baby boy named Arthur. A second son, Weddell, would follow in 1887. In an attempt to distinguish themselves from the numerous other Olsons that called St. Paul home, the family changed their last name to Fossen, which means waterfall in Norwegian. At the same time, this could have been a nod to Andreas's birthplace of Skurfoss. The name would eventually be shortened to just Foss, a fortunate decision as it would be a stronger-sounding name when Foss became synonymous with worldwide towing and identified with a large fleet of tugboats. Another name to switch along the way was Andreas. He Americanized his name to Andrew. He suffered in the cold Minnesota winters and his health began to take a turn. The Fosses decided to once again pack up and move a long distance. This time, to the booming town of Tacoma, in the then territory of Washington. Tacoma was a popular spot among Norwegian settlers, so the Fosses were once again sticking close to their countrymen. Like their original move from Norway a decade prior, Andrew left first in 1888 and rode the rails, working as a carpenter along the way. At the time of Andrew's departure, Thea was pregnant with their daughter Lillian. She would give birth in St. Paul and then follow Andrew in the spring of 1889. This must have been quite the exhaustive ordeal. When you consider that her firstborn was four, her second child was two, and she had to take care of her infant Lillian all while on the train for several days. She must have been at her wit's end by the time the train reached Tacoma. When the train arrived at Villard Station in Tacoma, Thea and her three children were greeted with rain. When the train arrived at Villard Station in Tacoma, Thea and her three children were greeted with rain. Andrew was there to meet the baby daughter he had never seen before. Andrew escorted his family to the houseboat that he had constructed at the base of 12th Avenue. It was built in a very rustic style using driftwood and scavenged timbers. According to Michael Sullivan at TacomaHistory.live, what Thea walked into was a virtual copy of the space she had just left after a week's travel. It was a wood frame box about the size of a boxcar. The furniture that wasn't wood was upholstered in leather with excelsior stuffing. In one corner was a coal-burning potbelly stove, and at the other end was a closet with a hole opening right into the water. Under her feet, the whole room moved. Andrew lit an oil lamp on the table, and Thea found the one completely new thing in the room, a mattress. She remembered sleeping for a very long time. And again, I don't blame her.
Thea had a lifelong fear of the water, made worse by the almost unending interest in it that her small children seemed to constantly show. Shortly after arriving in Tacoma, Thea came down with a real bad case of typhoid pneumonia and was bedridden for over two months. Luckily, she pulled through and eventually moved on with her life. Once Thea was feeling well enough, Andrew left her for two months to build a more sturdy and dependable home, this time located on Henderson Bay, west of Tacoma, near Purdy. Before he left, he gave Thea a small jar of money. While he was gone, she purchased several rowboats from disgruntled fishermen. Perhaps they had gotten skunked that day and had thought to give up the entire job for good. I can relate. I once got skunked for over two years any time I went fishing. It really sucked. Thea proceeded to clean up each little rowboat, give them a fresh new coat of white paint, with green trim of course, and by the time Andrew made it back home two months later, Thea had earned $41 and owned a small fleet of rowboats. She would charge 50 cents a day to rent the boats. Her customers were typically fishermen, duck hunters, and picnickers. Andrew was more than happy to trade plain house carpentry for boat building. Thus, the Foss family business was born. Shortly after this, the city of Tacoma decided to arrange the channel and divert the Puyallup River. This made it possible to dredge and partially fill in part of the harbor to create industrial space on Commencement Bay. This decision displaced the Fosses, so they moved, once again, to Hallelujah Harbor, which is now known as the Wheeler-Osgood Waterway. Henry, the couple's last child, was born in 1891. While the number of children stopped at four, the number of rowboats the family owned had ballooned to more than 200. It was clear to Thea and Andrew that the family would need to move to larger quarters soon. For the first time since reaching the Evergreen State, after moving to the foot of the Union Pacific Railroad Bridge, Thea had running water, albeit outside, but running water nonetheless. These new digs had two floors, with boat storage on the lower level and a three-room family home on the upper floor. The term Thea coined for the business, always ready, was painted on the wall of the house that faced the harbor. At this time in the history of the Evergreen State, trade with Asian and Latin American countries was rising dramatically. Oftentimes, ships were coming and going carrying wheat, lumber, and coal into Comus Harbors. The Fosses meant to capitalize on this boom and soon expanded their original business. Thea Foss frequently came into contact with all types of local and foreign businessmen and ship captains. They were always coming and going, making deals, and running the show for so many lives aboard their ships. This meant that Thea's ability to reason with all of these different men with their different attitudes and personalities made for good business. Thea was known to always get these gentlemen to sit down for a chat, even if it was only for a couple minutes at a time. She took advantage of this situation to learn the many ways of her varied acquaintances. This presented a great chance for her to earn valuable leadership skills. As the business continued to grow, Andrew's brothers, Ivor and Peter, joined him in the building of boats. Thea ran the household deftly and organized the extensive supplies for ships at Harbor and Tacoma. Thea's youngest child, Henry, later recalled of his mother, Often I remember her struggling with a problem. 
She would ponder for a short time, her head in her hands, and inevitably she would come up with an acceptable answer. Henry, like the other Foss children, grew up in the family business. According to Michael Scally in his book, Foss, 90 Years of Towboating, one compensation that the children got was that they were able to collect all the herring bait left in the boats at the end of the day. They would then resell them the next morning to a new crop of fishermen. Some of the skiffs were equipped with sail and the boys gave instruction on how to use it. Michael Scally goes on to say, The children also helped with home chores, chopping wood, preparing kindling, and collecting wheat spilled from grain cars, which Thea soaked and boiled to make a gruel, with a few cinders included for roughage. During this time, the family business just kept on growing, and with the expanded workforce, the Fosses built a boarding house for employees next to their own home. And soon, Thea would see her cooking responsibilities multiply almost exponentially. Thea and her daughter Lillian would cook for up to 30 people a day, most of whom were fellow Norwegian immigrants. She was never more happy than when she was in her kitchen, recalled Henry Foss. She was particularly known for her skill in baking Norwegian pastries. Thea was a very kind and caring woman and was also very humble and generous. During the Panic of 1898, for instance, which gripped Tacoma quite strongly, a Swedish family was left starving and destitute when the husband and father of three drank away his final paycheck and then committed suicide. Thea took Matilda and her three children in to live with them until they could get back on their feet. And they say Wonder Woman was curated in 1941. Let's take a quick sponsorship break, and I'll be right back with the rest of the story. Once the fad of recreational rowing slowed, Thea and Arthur diversified the business. Instead of solely relying on the money the rowboat rentals brought in, Arthur began to change the way he designed his boats to allow for easier deliveries to be made at ships and harbor. They began to bring groceries and marine supplies out to ships and bring members of the crew in for their shore leave. They would even bring in mill workers to mills that were only accessible at high tides. This proved to be very fruitful for Thea and Andrew, but they felt there was even more room to grow for their family business. Enter Motorized Watercraft if they could speed up deliveries, that would only bring them more money and success for the family. The Fosses launched their first two-horsepower naphtha-fueled launch named Hope. She was used mainly on Commencement Bay to ferry supplies to and from waiting ships. With marine traffic increasingly growing up and down Puget Sound, Thea Foss's boys arranged to have a telegraph sent when a ship left heading south from the then U.S. Customs Port of Entry for Puget Sound, which was located at Port Townsend until 1911. Once the family had motorboats at their disposal, some of the boys would even speed all the way up to Port Townsend to be the first to greet the ship, usually with a big smile and free crates of local produce. Most of the time, it would be apples or pears. At that point, the rest of the sales pitch would be a breeze. You see what I did there? Getting close-up views of these ships and their crews drove a point home to Thea's sons, Arthur and Weddell. Some of these crews and captains were pretty inexperienced, and the two boys could plainly see that they would have trouble negotiating the tides and currents, which could be quite treacherous in parts of Puget Sound. 
So, they began to set up a rescue business. And the pretty cool thing about this was that if you were an existing FOSS customer, they didn't charge you for the help that they provided. If you weren't a customer, however, such as hobbyists who lost their way, they'd be charged 25 cents for the boys' troubles. Michael Scaly said the brothers, on page 13 of his book, were especially solicitous of young couples be calmed and in danger of incurring the ire of parents by not returning before dark. As Thea's four children grew from children to teens and into young adults, they began to assume more responsibilities within the family business. Following in his mother's footsteps, Arthur, the eldest son, finished 8th grade and left school completely to work full-time for the family. By the time he reached the age of 13, Arthur had a government contract to deliver mail by boat from Tacoma to Seattle. Think about that for a second. A 13-year-old delivering mail by boat from Tacoma to Seattle. That would never happen these days. His younger brothers, Weddell and Henry, were deputized to train for management duties. Weddell went on to study law at the University of Washington, while Henry took business classes at Stanford University in California. Lillian graduated from Stadium High School and worked for her mother in the family store, boarding house, and kitchen. Throughout this entire period of time, Thea and Andrew helped pave the way for many newly arrived immigrants by helping them to learn American customs, helping them to gain employment, and helping them to study and prepare for the arduous citizenship exams that were ahead of them. In addition to Thea's duties to the home and business, she took care of a rather large garden, as well as some 40 chickens, two pigs, and a dairy cow. 1906 would see the Fosses moving to 400 Dock Street, near the mouth of the waterway that would eventually be named in honor of Thea. With her children requiring far less mothering, and her direct help at the store and boarding house requiring even less time, Thea decided to branch off into community service. Being the person that she was, Unlike most of the other matrons around Tacoma at the time who courted publicity or fretted over appearances for any good deed they did, Thea remained humble and out of the spotlight as much as she could. For the most part, Thea avoided coverage in the local society pages except for occasional mentions relating to her duties with the Daughters of Norway. She became a founding secretary of the group's Embla Lodge No. 2 in 1907. In 2004, the Thea Foss Lodge No. 45 of the Daughters of Norway in Port Townsend was named for her. Normana Hall, which still houses Tacoma's Sons of Norway Lodge, opened in 1922 and was built using funds that Thea partially helped to generate. Thea Foss was more well-known for her actions than for her words, though she was known to keep a diary of her thoughts and interactions. One such entry is quite profound and speaks a lot to the character of this incredible woman. The entry, dated January 19, 1907, states, The law imprinted in all men's hearts is to love one another. I will look to the whole world as my country and all men as my brothers. We are made for cooperation, and to act against one another is to act contrary to nature. Thea imparted this belief onto her husband, whom upon designing a teardrop-shaped underbelly for tugboats, 
which is still used to this day over a hundred years later, Andrew declined to patent this design. Surely, the Fosses would have benefited greatly from this. But after all, if he did patent it, it would go against the overall common good of humanity. As was common in Tacoma in the 1910s, the Fosses and many other prominent families moved uptown and away from the waterfront. They bought an entire block at 25th and Cheyenne Streets. Though Thea would love the extra space to spread out and enjoy time with her family, the happiness would not last. In 1914, Thea's only surviving daughter passed away of tuberculosis. She was only 25 years old. Henry recalled of his mother after Lillian's death, I really feel that from here on there did not seem to be much for her to live for. June 7, 1927, the day before Thea's 70th birthday, Thea Christensen Foss passed away and Tacoma lost an icon of a woman. Her funeral would be one of the largest that the City of Destiny had ever seen. Thea Foss's legacy lives on with her family and the business that she helped start all those years ago. Though that business is no longer family-owned, having sold in 1987 to Salt Chuck Resources, the Foss name was kept, and as of today, is the largest operator of tugboats on the West Coast. The Foss family name is honored throughout Tacoma, with the waterway the family once called home now being called the Thea Foss Waterway. Norman Riley Rain, who wrote the original articles published in the Saturday Evening Post, in which the legend of Tugboat Annie was curated, once said, She came to my mind when, as a lecturer at the University of Washington, I decided to write about a woman tugboat captain. Knocking around to get tugboat atmosphere, I met Thea's son, Weddell Foss, one of the heads of the Foss Launch and Tugboat Company. He turned out to be a great biographer. He explained that he not only wanted to honor his mother, but to make the public know about tugboats and Puget Sound in general. He succeeded in doing so through me. The 1933 film, which was partially filmed in Seattle, was inspired by these magazine pieces. Though the tugboat Annie character was an outspoken captain of her own ship, just remember what I mentioned earlier in the podcast. In real life, Thea was very uncomfortable with water and rarely went afloat. She was also, in contrast with Annie, very soft-spoken and reserved. According to Michael Scaly's book, Foss, 90 Years of Tugboating, Rain's Annie did not resemble Thea either in appearance, manner, attitude, action, position, or philosophy. However, both Annie and her inspiration modeled an equality for women rarely seen in the business world of the day. The 1933 film Tugboat Annie was followed in 1940 by Tugboat Annie Sails Again, which starred the future 40th President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. A third film, Captain Tugboat Annie would be released in 1945. On a very interesting side note, in 1950, the company bought a 120-foot yacht. It was built in 1930 for John Barrymore and Dolores Costello, the grandparents of the actress Drew Barrymore. The company renamed the yacht in honor of Thea Foss. Rather fittingly and true to her form, the Thea Foss was used as a company hospitality boat, and there was always hot coffee at the ready. Before I wrap this episode up, 
I wanted to talk about the Foss Waterway today and where it's come over the past couple of decades. The Thea Foss and Wheeler Osgood waterways sparkle with new life today thanks to a historic cleanup led by the city of Tacoma. The city removed or capped in place sediments contaminated by more than a century of environmentally insensitive practices and restored marine habitats around the Foss and other areas of Commencement Bay, in partnership with agencies, organizations, property owners, and other responsible parties. Since the cleanup was completed in 2006, the focus has been on keeping the waterway clean. In 1983, the Environmental Protection Agency identified the Thea Foss and Wheeler-Osgood waterways as part of the larger 12-acre Commencement Bay Superfund site. These waterways have been the site of industry for more than 100 years. The city of Tacoma literally grew up from the waterfront where the deep water port and western terminus of the Northern Pacific Railroad attracted businesses and the employees that worked them. In those days, Industries dumped waste into the waterway and sewers emptied right into the bay. People viewed the ocean as a kind of washing machine. They believed the tides carried the waste away. We know now that that's not quite how it works, not even remotely. The pollutants bonded with the sediments and settled into the waterways. This historical practice led to the accumulation of more than 1 million cubic yards of contaminated sediments. The city and the EPA found numerous types of contaminants, including DDT and metals, such as arsenic, copper, lead, mercury, and zinc. In 1994, the city of Tacoma volunteered to take the lead in developing a cleanup plan for the Thea Foss and Wheeler Osgood waterways. The city aggressively investigated the sources and extent of contamination in the waterways. Investigation efforts included taking hundreds of sediment samples from throughout the foss from various depths and running those samples through extensive chemical and biological tests. Based on the results of these tests, along with current and anticipated navigational uses of the waterway, cleanup options were developed. Under a plan accepted by the EPA, the city cleaned up to 80% of the foss. From 2002 to 2006, about 425,000 cubic yards of contaminated sediments were dredged from the waterways and placed behind a containment berm in the St. Paul waterway. This waterway was made available to the city for use as a near-shore disposal facility in a partnership agreement with Simpson Tacoma Craft. That land became available for Simpson to develop in a careful, appropriate way. Other areas of the Foss waterway were capped with clean sediments to contain some of the contamination in place. As part of the cleanup project, habitat restoration sites were constructed at four new locations, the Middle Waterway Tide Flats Habitat, the North Beach Habitat, Puyallup River Side Channel, and the Heilbos Creek Mitigation Site. In addition, shorelines were enhanced wherever possible to make them habitat-friendly, including four additional areas along the Thea Foss waterway. The bill for this cleanup added up to nearly $105 million. The majority of this coming from the city of Tacoma's surface water rates, which contributed $56.5 million. The Washington State Department of Ecology grants covered $24.5 million. The rest came from funding provided by the Washington State Department of Natural Resources and other responsible parties. The group of private companies that cleaned the remaining 20% paid nearly $7.3 million in their efforts. 
A significant investment has been made in the cleanup of these waterways and in the Commencement Bay community through this remediation project. Unfortunately, stormwater from more than 6,000 acres in the city of Tacoma drains untreated to this waterway. To change its potential source of contaminants, the city has been employing source control efforts for many years. Keeping the waterways clean is an ongoing community effort. My sources for this episode were Foss, 90 Years of Towboating by Michael Scally, Thea's Boathouse by Michael Sullivan at TacomaHistory.live, Thea Christensen Foss by Lane Morgan at HistoryLink.org, Thea Foss Waterway Cleanup by City of Tacoma, the 2006 documentary film Finding Thea by Lucia Strander and Nancy Bourne Haley, Foss Maritime Company celebrates 125 years by the Tacoma News Tribune on July 12, 2014, and SouthSoundTalk.org. Thank you for listening to Episode 5 of the History of the Evergreen State Podcast. And I'm your host, John C. There's peace on the Skokomish, on the Queets and on the Hoh. There's calm on the Nisqually, born of ageless ice and snow. A land that nature loves so much, she stays the whole year round. I trade a royal palace for a shack on Puget Sound. There's Chimicum and Stilicum, where spouts the gooey duck. The singing Stilaguamish and the swirling Skookum Chuck. And Moclips and Copalis, where the razor clams abound. A little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound. A little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound. There's peace on the Skokomish, on the Queets and on the Hoh. There's calm on the Nisqually, born of ageless ice and snow. A land that nature loves so much, she stays the whole year round. I trade a royal palace for a shack on Puget Sound. There's Chimicum and Stilicum, where spouts the gooey duck. The singing still a Guamish and the swirling skookum chuck. And Moclips and Copalis, where the razor clams abound. A little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound. A little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound.